You're listening to the Power Place Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch the service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org. Happy birthday. And I uh, want to wish a, a happy 90th birthday to George Barnes, who watches us online every week. George, we love you. George and Grace are the oldest members of this house, and we love them, and they are staying at home safely, and uh, we just wish you a happy birthday this coming Tuesday. So if you want to wish George a happy birthday, Tuesday is his birthday. And also pray for uh, Shelly Choffrey in the loss of her father this past week. We're praying for the Choffrey family. And uh, God comforts us in our time of, of grieving, in our time of loss. There was a young man who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as he was getting his things in order, he contacted his pastor and had him come to his house to discuss certain aspects of his final wishes. And he told him which songs he wanted sung at the service, what scriptures he'd like to be read, and what outfit he wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young man suddenly remembered something very important to him. Oh, there's one more thing, he said excitedly. What's that, came the pastor's reply. He said, well, this is very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the young man, not knowing quite what to say. And the young man said, that surprises you, doesn't it? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by your request, said the pastor. The young man explained, my grandmother once told me this story, and from that time on, I've always tried to pass along its message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful with substance. So I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand. And I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Amen. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, following him, the best is yet to come. I don't care how good you've got it down here on earth. It don't compare in the slightest with what God has in store for you. Amen. So this past week, President Biden took the oath of office to be the president of the United States of America. And so I encourage you as a church to pray for our president, pray for our country. It's our responsibility as believers. It is. I don't care if you agree or don't agree. Your obligation is to pray. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, I urge you, Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. 
and give thanks for them. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for Christians. We don't have the screen up. We've lost the screen. Bummer. So that's not what it says. In case you were reading along with me, apparently you weren't reading along with me. <laughs> he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. It's a big deal. And I believe it's time for the church to be the church. Chuck Colson liked to say, the kingdom of God will never arrive on Air Force One. I think we can turn the air off at this point. Don't you think? Somebody sitting back there can take care of that. Thank you, Isaiah. Kingdom of God will never arrive on Air Force One. The kingdom of God lives in you as a child of God. And this is just the right time for the church to be the church and bring God's message of hope and truth to our world. Amen. You got to talk to me today, okay? It's time for you to rise up with a won't stop spirit in you and be what God has called you to be. The reality is God's real church always triumphs in difficult times. If you'll look through biblical history and find through the, the years of history of our world, the church has always triumphed. In fact, the largest church on earth is the underground church of 300 million in China. Persecuted, pushed underground, and yet they are thriving because the light of Jesus Christ lives inside of them. It's time to shine the light, folks. Our world needs you to be Jesus with skin on. They need to see the life of God in you. They need you to bring his hope and freedom in these desperate times. So intercede for all people. Ask God to help them and give thanks for them because God wants everyone to be saved. He's no respecter of persons. Come on, church, let's, let's not stop being who God has called us to be. Amen? We won't stop. Say it with me loudly. We won't stop. Amen. If you need to wear that shirt, that, that, we got some outside. Pick one up and pay for it. We'll take a look at Nehemiah chapter 6 today. 
you may have to bring your Bibles from now on. Oh, it's back. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah gives us an account of a man who had a won't stop attitude. Nehemiah was that kind of man. He, he just wouldn't stop. God, God commissioned him to build the, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah said, I'm not going to stop until it's done. And, and they didn't stop building the wall around Jerusalem until it was finished. It had been torn down. It had been destroyed for years. And some of you live in that kind of situation. You live in rubble. And you're looking around and saying, can, can anything ever come of this? Will, will God ever bring anything out of this mess? And if you notice it, then maybe you've been called to take care of it. Don't point out problems that you aren't willing to get involved in fixing. So Nehemiah chapter six, verse one, when, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, how many of you know we all have enemies? When word came to the, the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat, Geshem sent me, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh, no. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Won't stop. Now that's not in the scripture, but it's basically what he said. I'm carrying on a great work and I can't come down. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true. Geshem's the other guy involved in this trio that's attacking Nehemiah. Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening and you are just making it up out of your head. Verse nine says they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. When we first came to Kennett Square, word got out that a church filled with the Holy Spirit had showed up. This was 17 years ago. We began meeting in the Red Clay Room, which is the fire hall for Kennett Square. 
And then about six months later, we moved to the American Legion building basement. We had approached the American Legion when we first came to town. They said, absolutely not. We don't want a church here. And then about six months later, they approached us and said, would you come and take our space? Funny how God works and, and how things shift as you just obey God and keep walking. And so we moved into the, to the basement of the American Legion building and, and our youth ministry began to explode because we had our own space. And sometimes up to 200 kids would come on a Wednesday night and it was, it was powerful. And then we started noticing that there were uh, people that would show up and start chanting in the back of the room. Come to find out there were witches and warlocks, part of a coven that was based here in Kennett Square. Um, some of you who've lived here for a while, you know there used to be a, a witch that occupied a, a storefront here in Kennett, uh, Gwenda Linda, and she and her coven, they began to fast and pray against the power place, that we would be shut down and driven out of town. And um, so we just kept, we just kept going. And the threats and the intimidation and the, the pushback we got from the dark realm, uh, eventually she left town Just all of a sudden, the building was empty and she was gone and, and much of what she had, had done around here had quieted down. A pastor friend of mine in Barbados, he would come out of his house and find voodoo dolls all around his property with pins and needles and Voodoo is, is very real. If, you've, if you understand anything, uh, there is, Satan has power, okay? But he doesn't have God power. He does have manipulation power. And, and many of these, these uh, people would eventually come to his church and, and tell him, we tried cursing you and cursing this church, but we don't have any power against you. You see, the blood of Jesus is very powerful and you need to be under the blood. You, you can't fight the enemy in your own strength. You need to be under the blood of Jesus. But the enemy will try to intimidate you. He will try to push you around. He will try to send erroneous messages to confuse you, to get you trapped and, and, and brought into this, this uh, negative area. They'll try to frighten you. And that's what verse nine says. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants, he wants to come at you so much from every different angle and get you too weak to do what God's called you to do. He wants you to give up. He wants you 
to, to sit down and say, it's just not worth it. I can't take it anymore. This, this massive pushback. I, I just, I got to stop doing what God's asked me to do. That's what the enemy wants. Your hands will get too, too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. You have one source of strength, and that's God Almighty. And you've got to connect with him. And Nehemiah said, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And some of you need to get so close to God that nothing else matters. The discouragement falls off of you like water off of a duck's back. No matter what the enemy throws at you, what, what discouragement, you say, well, the answers aren't coming from God. I feel like I'm out here all alone. I don't know what's going on. And the enemy wants to grab onto that because you're talking about it, because your demeanor, the enemy can't read your mind. He can check out your body language. That's why the psalmist said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. And let your body know what's going on. The enemy wants to try to push you down to the point where you'll just get too weak for the work. And it won't be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. Some people will do anything for gain. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Do you know how many people have tried to give us a bad name to discredit us? And then verse 14, remember to buy and Samballot, my God. He starts to pray again. Remember to buy and Sanballat, my God, because of what they've done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. It took us about that time to build all the walls in this building. In fact, I was preaching through Nehemiah back then. And we had a shouting match because it was just God. It was God who miraculously helped us finish some things in this house in record time. What an awesome God. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God.
And when you won't stop what God's asked you to do, the enemy will hear and will be intimidated. They've been trying to intimidate you, but they will be intimidated because you aren't giving up. You're not giving in to the intimidation. You're not giving in to the lies. You're not giving in to the threats. You're not giving in to, to all the stuff that's coming at you. Because of that, God's name will be praised. They realize this work had been done with the help of our God. Many are taking a step back and saying, oh, power place isn't just another church. And I said that from the very beginning. God doesn't need just another church. Everybody in Kenneth Square told me that when I came to town. Oh, we don't want another church. We've got enough churches. Like, well, this isn't really a church. It's just a place where the power of God's going to be. That's why it's called the power place. God doesn't need just another church. It needs a place where people can encounter the power and presence of Almighty God. Because in an encounter with God, anything can happen. Lives can be changed. And some of you, God is changing your life just by attending this, this house. Because you're experiencing week after week the presence and the power of God. You can't be the same if you'll stay in his presence. You can't stay the same if you'll stay in his presence. That's why I want you here every week. Because you can't stay the same if you'll stay in his presence. As things start to melt off. Things start to shift. Some of you are testimony of that. You, you just started hanging out here. Started hanging out because somebody you knew, they said, okay, come. Somebody else invited you or you just all of a sudden started showing up with somebody and then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, God's presence is here. He just started changing you from the inside out. And then there's that moment where you say, you know what? I'm all in. You walk the aisle and give your life to Jesus and end up getting baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and everything changes because it's God doing the work. It's not us. Yeah, we got to get involved. We got to do what God's asked us to do, but it, it's not our power. This has been done with the help of our God. It's a miracle where we're at. When I walked in this building, this, this 10,000 square foot right here, I walked in the front door. The realtor showed me this space. He said, you can't have this space. He said, but this is what that warehouse over there can look like. I walked in and God said, this is your space. I said, okay. Let's just tell everybody else that then. And I looked at him, I said, you know what? Uh, we're, we're supposed to have this. He goes, yeah, but it's not available yet. When it came available, our landlord looked at me and said, oh, there's no way we don't want a church in here can't have a church. I've only heard bad reports about churches and buildings. They leave paper everywhere. I mean, he just went down this list of stuff. And I said, look, I'm praying because God wants us here. And we just need to get on the same page here. And you need to drop the price. And 
and he did. I mean, it's a miracle that we're in this space. And most of the walls weren't in here. And I, I said to a man in our church, I said, Richie, you're building your own house. I said, how about building the house of God? And uh, I said, can you build walls? He said, oh yeah, I can build walls. So I got a friend, Anthony. And Anthony has a friend, Matt. I'm just, I'm just saying, this, everything that you see here is done with the help of our God. This isn't any one person. This isn't anybody saying, oh, I got this, I can do, I can, I got it. No, it's with the help of our God. And God put people together and brought them here and, and I could just I list a whole bunch of names and I'll, I'll miss somebody. And so I'm going to quit that. But the reality is we're sitting in the middle of a miracle. Then when the space next door came open, the front part, our landlord came to us and said, you guys need that. I said, I know we need it really cheap. <laughs> and he blessed us. And, and then the back part came open for the gym and pack. He came to us again. He said, you need that. I said, I know. We need it really cheap because, you know, pandemic and all this. And, and here we, we stand in the middle of a miracle. And it was with the help of our God. They, they were afraid. Our enemies heard about it. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If you don't hear anything else, realize this. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for you. He's praying for you. I know you, sometimes you need to request prayer for yourself, but let me just tell you. You've got the greatest prayer in the world praying for you, interceding for you at the right hand of God, the Father. He's saying, Father, I know. I know them. I know their weaknesses. I know their strengths. And right now they're struggling. And you just got to help them. You need to know that. He's also interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3, so I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Won't stop working. Won't stop fulfilling the call of God on my life. Won't stop because of intimidation. Won't stop the great work that God has commissioned me to do. To come down and deal with you and get sucked into your made-up drama. Won't stop. Won't stop. Psalm 119, 115. Go away. Leave me, all you workers of wickedness. You can't stop me from following every command of my God. You can't stop me. You can't stop me from following every command of my God. I won't stop following every command of my God. I, God commissioned Nehemiah to build the wall. He didn't stop until the task was completed. I don't know what God's called you to do, but don't stop. Don't give in to the threats, to the intimidation of the enemy. You stand strong. You do what God's asked you to do. And with the help of your God, this work will be completed. With the help of our God, this work will be completed. With the help of our God, this work will be completed. Thanks for listening to the Power Place Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch a service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org.